We're in John chapter 7. I want us to remember as we're studying this book um, that the purpose of this book, these things are written from John 20. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in His name. So every sermon in this book, every story in this book comes back to that main idea. That's the point. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. We live like the, the, the narrative that we're going to look at today in John chapter 7. We live in a pluralistic society. Um, much of much of the world was, was, was pluralistic back then. Obviously, they had a Hebrew God and a Hebrew government, but it was, um, obviously, as, as Moon pointed out last week, not submitted to the will of God. Not obedient to the will of God. Let's pick up this narrative. I'm just going to read John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Notice the geographical marker there. Where is He? He's up in Galilee. Out in the boondocks where fishermen live. Where country folk live. Way away from the big city of Jerusalem. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believed in him. Jesus said, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not fully, not, not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering, muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of Jews, no one for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered him, answered them, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of Him who sent me is true. And in Him there's no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? 
The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Then Jesus said, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's Moses, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the, the, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the, on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Judge by appearances. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This is what, what, what they attempted to do was demonize Christ. What they attempted to do is insist that his power, his teaching, was from a demonic influence. Uh, you know, um, hence we get the phrase when you're demonizing some, someone. They wanted to say his power is from Satan. Well, he's going to get real clear in this passage. Very clear. He says, he points out their hypocrisy because. On the Sabbath, you have to circumcise somebody to make them a Jew. And you do that work on the Sabbath to fulfill the law. But I healed a whole man. Your rubrics for judging me is not a right rubrics. And we're going to see that throughout this passage. Um, the, the, the The way they tend to judge him and his teaching. Let me, let me just give you a foreshadowing with that and, and, and go on. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man that they, whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? We know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So so the the part that they've added to this is that the Messiah will come quickly from someplace you don't know. Maybe like lightning travels, as far as lightning travels, travels from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They're expecting a dramatic, from out of nowhere, appearance of the Lord. Which is accurate. If you think about His second advent. And they think that He's come from Galilee. They assume that because He's from Nazareth. They didn't bother to ask Him what His birthplace is. And they point that out later on the passage. that The Messiah has to come from Bethlehem. The Pharisees heard, verse 32, the crowd muttering these things about Him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest Him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer then I'm going to Him who sent Me. You will seek Me, you will not find Me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Why does this man intend to go where we cannot find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. 
Here's the text that we want to talk about today. On the last great day of the feast, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Let's talk about the what we're what we're celebrating here. We're talking we're celebrating the feast of booths, the feast of the tabernacles. This is a Jewish feast. There's three big Jewish feasts. There's the Passover, there's the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is the feast that that was prescribed in Leviticus. Let me just read that to you. You're welcome to flip over there with me if you want to, but Leviticus chapter 23, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, the Lord's festival of tabernacle begins, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is the closing special assembly. Do no regular work. Let me skip down to verse 40. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from psalm, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice and celebrate before the Lord for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this is the, temp- this is the festival that's used to celebrate the fact that they lived in tents and God took care of them. I mean, the Passover. The, pa- the Passover festival. Amazing. Everybody was dead. But He passed over the Israelis. Then took them miraculously through the Red Sea. Something that all of their Hebrew literature just continues to refer to. And then He led them about for 40 years, taking care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out. They had food. They had manna from heaven. This is a huge Jewish festival. And don't ever forget that I took care of you in the wilderness. I took care of you. You lived in tents, but I took care of you. This is a, this is a comforting um, remind, reminder of God's love for His people. He wanted them to celebrate it every year. Now, of course, they, like us, add things to it, and it kind of grows some traditions of its own. And some, some historians will tell us that the Feast of Booths, uh, in which they would, they would sing um, a psalm out of Isaiah chapter 12, it's known as the first psalm of Isaiah, and they would sing this song as a priest would take a pitcher, a pitcher, an empty pitcher. Let me, let me back up and get this better. So, people would cut down branches, 
palms, willows, something with big leafies, and they would come into town every day at the Feast of the Tabernacles. So they're waving these palms every day. A group of them come in and circle the altar, holding this, and then kind of put their their, their um, willows towards the altar to kind of signify a tent. Before they went to the um, altar, they would march around the altar together seven times. And um, put those out there. And on the seventh day, and the seventh day is when they would march around seven times, just like Jericho, commemorating Jericho. March around seven times. Got this huge assembly, marching around, putting it for putting forward to show that there's this big tabernacle over the altar. A priest would take a pitcher of water, and as they sung this psalm from Isaiah, he would go down to the pool of Siloam, dip up water out of the pool of Siloam, come back to this festival as they were chanting or saying or singing this psalm. I will praise You, Lord, although You were angry with me, Your anger has turned away. You have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord the Lord Himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done and proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy the people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And they would say over and over again, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. They also, as I pointed out earlier, would read the Hallel, um, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, which is another just commemoration of all the mighty things that God had done through Israel. The priest would then take the cup and he would pour it out in front of the altar. With just the the memory of with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There are also prayers for rain. Prayers for God to send rain. And in a Gregorian culture, really in any culture, because it all comes back to we're consumers, but especially in an agrarian culture, very important to pray for rain. So water is on everybody's mind. And I think that's really important to understand this speech that Jesus gives. Because He says, on the last... great day, on the last day of the feast, the great day, So apparently, with this backdrop, this is what Jesus says, where Jesus says these words. And some people think that as this ceremony is reaching its climax, Jesus steps up to the crowd and says these words. 
and I don't, it doesn't tell us exactly when all that happened, but we know at least all this symbolism is fresh on people's minds. The, 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 the Feast of the Tabernacle, the Feast of Booths, the marching around the walls of Jericho, the provision of water from a rock. Moses struck the rock one time. Actually, Moses struck the rock twice. Supposed to speak to the rock one time. God just poured water out from nowhere in the desert. Gave them food. On the last great day of the feast, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. And listen to that. It's loud. He's not teaching, you know, in the middle section of this passage, he's teaching in the temple. This is as the climax of this Feast of Booth happens. Everybody's singing, everybody's chanting, everybody's praying, praying for water. Jesus stands up and cries out If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And drinks, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow living water. What's different about Christ? It's, it's his it's his claims. It's belief. He's making an assertion that he is the source of living water. You wouldn't see him with a coexist bumper sticker on the back of his car. The reason we have different religions and the reason we have such war and fighting even among those religions are that beliefs are powerful and beliefs influence your behavior. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but how do you make this bread, a part of you. Well, you consume it with your mouth. How do you make this juice a part of you? You drink it and you swallow. And Jesus is using that metaphor, but He's saying, how do you drink spiritual food? How do you eat spiritual food? How do you consume? And the way you do that is through belief. We're going to see at least four different responses. Well, maybe... Four complete responses to these claims. But let me, let me just point out a few things about his claims here before we look at the, the, the way people responded to that in the scripture. If anyone thirsts, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. If you're thirsty, and you are, we're all, we're all thirsty for spiritual meaning. We, we want, we, we realize um, God has, has put it in our hearts. He's put eternity in our hearts. We realize that we're just a small piece of a much bigger picture. Now we seek to define that in a lot of different ways. But thirsty. Thirsty. Are you thirsty? Am I thirsty? Are we spiritually thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, you sense a need, what should you do? Come. That's his response. That's that's our responsibility in responding to the message of Christ is coming, and not just coming. It says, "Come 
and drink. These people were all there. They were coming. They came with different motives in, in, their, in their hearts and in their minds, different, different ideas about who Jesus was. They came. But it's only the ones who's thirsty, who's thirsty, who comes and who drinks, which he explains in the next sentence, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now we've already been here. I mean, this is a some of this is a recap of, of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, if you drink this water, if you drink this water, then you'll have you'll get thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give you, it will be like a well leaping up, springing up inside of you. So what what is he talking about here? What is this? What is this well? What is this water? Well, he, John explains it right here in the context. He gives us kind of an author's note to keep us keep us on track. And he says, now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given. Why was the Spirit not given? So we understand that the Spirit came after the Feast of Pentecost. You know, we're talking about seven months here. This Feast of Booth was October 15th. You can remember that. October 15th through October 22nd. Of course, they've got a different name for the calendar. Um, but almost seven months later is when Jesus is sacrificed, literally. And on the day of, on the day of Pentecost, they receive the Spirit. And amazing work of the Spirit. Loud noises. Clothes of fire. Um, people speaking... In, in other people's distinct languages, an amazing outpouring of the Spirit. And, and, and why was the Spirit not given? Why is the Spirit not here? Well, listen, even in this context. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was part of God's plan to have Jesus die for the sin of the world, for Him to ascend Back to heaven. That's what he's talking about. All this. I'm from above, and I'm and and, and I'm and I'm going to go away someplace that you guys don't know about. He keeps on saying this stuff. He's going to ascend to the Father. He's going back to where he came from. And when he does that, he told he he tells his disciples later in this book that the Comforter. I cannot send the Comforter until I go. When I go, I will send the Comforter back to you, the Holy Spirit. You know, this is amazing. You've got the Feast of Booths where God is tabernacling among them. You've got God who is tabernacling. You've got Jesus, God, standing right here, tabernacling with them, right in front of them. And He says, if you're thirsty, drink. And just the, the Old Testament... Metaphor is just thick here. Jesus is the... Of course, I guess I started to say that Jesus is just wonderful at being opportunistic in these kind of situations. But when you think about it, that's, that's really a wrong way of thinking about it. The whole of human history is about Him. It's about this. I mean, it's the pinnacle. 
So when he talks about the point of life, the point of human history, he has to talk about himself. And he does that over and over again. So God, tabernacling among them, says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and I will give you that living water Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And and by the way, that's that's those those passages are all over the place. Um, let me just try to read one to you here. Isaiah. I can't spell Isaiah. Isaiah fifty three. In Isaiah 58.11, I said 53, sorry. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water who waters do not fail. There's a lot of those scattered out throughout the Old Testament. Um, that he may be referring to as far as him being the living water. And not only him, but accepting him, the Spirit, he goes away and is glorified, the Spirit comes back and abides in every believer. And, and just as a side note, you know, don't let anybody tell you that if you're a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You, know, you can look right here and see this. You know, the person who has believed in Jesus has the Spirit. Now, whether or not he's being filled with the Spirit, I think that's a uh, maybe a, a different way. Whether he's being actually hooked in or controlled by the Spirit, that could be something for believers. But believers receive the Spirit. Don't let anybody try to tell you that you've got to pray or really perseverate. Uh, over something to make sure you get the Spirit or you're going to have to get the Spirit in, in some other way other than salvation is belief in Jesus that releases this, the Holy Spirit. And that's going to happen for these folks in about seven months. Let's look at the people. How did they respond? When they heard these words... Some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Remember, what were the Jewish people looking for in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses told them, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers. It is Him you shall listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put My words in His mouth, and He shall speak to them all that I have commanded Him. And whoever will not listen to Him 
and whoever will not listen to my words that he'll speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Anyway, he has promised that a prophet, the Messiah, would come up among them. And so some of the people here in the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ, the Messiah. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over Him. Some of them wanted to arrest Him, but no one laid hands on Him. Everywhere... The Gospel goes. Let's take Jesus' own words. He didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The Gospel divides people. I mean, you really can't say this kind of stuff in the public square in the United States without expecting a huge amount of pushback. You can't make those claims. Who says that you know that your God's any better than... This person's God. We've got to protect this religion or that religion. The claims of Christ are divisive. They bring a sword. They cut families up. You know, he said, I come to turn a father against a daughter. His words, the gospel separates, just like it did in this instance. And he told them earlier in this passage that. Basically, what you believe about Christ. Oh, if you believe Moses, if you're really following Moses, if you're really believing and trusting in Moses and, and the Father, then you'll know me. You'll recognize me because I came from above. So there's a division of the people among them. Now you recall that the Pharisees had sent officers earlier in verse 32. When the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about Him, they sent chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest Him. So then the officers in verse 45 come back to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring Him in? The officers, I, I, I see them as this kind of this dazed and confused, not really knowing what to say. They just said they didn't offer an explanation to the, their boss. I mean, these are the temple guards. They have the temple guards are people who have a, some authority. They're like policemen. They, they were sent out by the religious. The Jews, the Pharisees in this case, to arrest somebody, and they kind of come back and they're just, what do they say? They say, no one ever spoke like this man. They didn't really say, we believe in him, or we don't believe in him, but they seem to just kind of be dazed and confused. 
they had been arrested by, I should use that word, they had been, um, they had been captured. That's still the same word, isn't it? They had been in the presence of Jesus. And that was, that was their response. Nobody ever spoke like this man. So the Pharisees respond with mocking. And they say, have you also been deceived? And they protect their position. Listen to them protect their position. Have any of the authorities believed in Him? But this crowd does not know the law is accursed. So you've got Pharisees who are rejecting Jesus. You've got a guard who's kind of, I don't know, I see it as maybe dazed and confused. Um, And you've got people in the crowd that are questioning, that are wondering, that are, that are saying, what could the, all this be about? And then you have Nicodemus, verse 50. Nicodemus, who the author reminds us, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? I don't know where Nicodemus is in 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 this point, but he is obviously seeking. He obviously came to Jesus by night uh, in in John chapter 3. We see him again here, and we see him at the end of this book taking care of Jesus' body obviously identifying with Him. So you've got people who believe. You've got people who are opposed. You've got people who just don't know. And you've got people who are questioning, who are asking themselves. And I think probably all of us fit into one of those categories. Maybe all the people of the world fit into one of those categories. They're people who believe. People who have placed faith in Christ. There are people who are wondering. There are people who are opposed to Christ. And there are people who are sincerely seeking. Some people who um, are just questioning, they die in that state. They question maybe their whole life. What's the take home for us out of this passage? There's one thing that Jesus puts across that He wants us to get. Come to Me, all who are thirsty, and drink. Whoever believes in Me will have streams of living water leaping out of Him. He'll have the Holy Spirit Are you saying to yourself, yes, that's exactly what I believe. I agree with this. I accept Jesus. I accept His claims on my life. I'm imperfect. But, but by the grace of God, I live. Or are you saying, I don't know about that. You know, I think there's a lot of good to be gotten from Jesus. I think He was a good man, a good teacher. Certainly a noted 
rabbi, somebody you should listen to. But, you know, I no, I don't believe that He is the only way to God. Or are you seeking? You know, are you trying to figure that out? Are you honestly coming to Christ with questions? Are you the kind of person after hearing a message say, I wonder about this, I wonder about that. I haven't quite believed in this yet. I haven't quite taken that step, but I'm wondering about that. Here it is, in all this pomp and ceremony of this circumstance that's going on in Jerusalem, Jesus says, come to Me and drink. And you'll have living water flowing up out of you. There will be people who mock the claims of Christ. There will be people who are professional wonderers that will wonder and wonder and wonder forever without actually accepting. Just remember that three-step process. He says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Some of the people who question, come. Some of the people who are, don't really know, they come. Some of the people that are even opposed to Christ come. But it's only the people who drink. It's only the people who believe in Christ who get this promise. Out of His heart will flow rivers of living water. Father, thank You for this passage. Thank You for the Word that You've challenged us with in John over and over and over again that Your Son is the Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is no other path to You but accepting Christ and accepting His Son's sacrifice. We celebrate that together today. We celebrate it with the, with the table. Father, Your Son is God. Thank You for that. Amen.